Welcome back to the Play On Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Stavros. Today we'll be speaking with Jim Paulus and Tasso Feldman from this season's production of The Coconuts. Jim Paulus has previously appeared as part of the festival Shakespeare in the Schools Tour as Malcolm in Macbeth. He's also appeared on Broadway as Mark Cohen in Rent and Huck Finn in The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. His off-Broadway credits include Playwrights Horizons, The York Theatre, Prospect Theatre Company, and the Meniere Chocolate Factory in London. Other theatre credits include the national tours of Little Shop of Horrors, The Graduate, and South Pacific. He's also appeared at the Jiva Theatre Center, the Repertory Theatre of St. Louis, the Great River Shakespeare Festival, Philadelphia Theatre Company, Arden Theatre Company, Alabama Shakespeare Festival, Arvada Center, Santa Cruz Shakespeare Festival, and PCPA Theatre Fest. He's also appeared on television in Guiding Light, The Rosie O'Donnell Show, Darwin, and in the film Slow Mo. Tasso Feldman has previously appeared at the festival as Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart in Amadeus, Charlie Wickham in Charlie's Aunt, Proteus in The Two Gentlemen of Verona, and Aramis in The Three Musketeers. His other theater credits include the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, Ensemble Studio Theater LA, South Coast Rep, the Geffen Playhouse, New Theater House, Chicago Humanities Festival, Lyric Stage Company of Boston, New Repertory Theater, and the Commonwealth Shakespeare Company. He's also appeared on television in Black Box, CSI New York, and HMS. He has also appeared in the Academy Award-winning film The Artist and in the film Every Day Saturday. Uh, Jim and Tasso, welcome to the Play On Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, we're excited to visit with one half of the, uh, the all four Marx Brothers from the Coconuts. Obviously, you've been doing other things all summer and will continue to do so. So one of the uh, – we'll just you know, sort of jump right in. Uh, you found, you, you, you're cast at the Shakespeare Festival. You've each been here before in one capacity or another. You find out we're going to do the Coconuts in addition to other things. What were sort of your first impressions as you read through the script or had you seen the show before? We'll talk about sort of getting – wrapping your head around uh, these two iconic parts. Jim, do you want to start? Sure. Um, I knew who the Marx Brothers were. I had seen uh, Animal Crackers, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually had a DVD of their stuff. I think I was doing some research on physical comedy somewhere, somewhere along the line, and ended up with a DVD of some Marx Brothers movies. Um, uh, Melissa, my wife, who directed the show, saw The Coconuts at Oregon Shakespeare Festival. I think she saw it twice. Um, and she had told me about this production. And so um, when it came to pass that we were going to do it here, um, uh, watched the movie. And, uh, uh, and honestly, um, I, I'm not a fan of the film. <laughs> <laughs> you are not the only one. <laughs> and, uh, but I saw, you know, I know what the Marx Brothers are. I know what they're about. And there are nuggets of that film that, you know, make me laugh a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and what the Marx Brothers are is extremely impressive. So um, thinking about Chico, I was thinking about um, a lot of things uh, as far as like, you know, what do you do? Do you mimic the voice or do you approach it just from the accent point of view? Do you do, am I going to play piano? I do play piano. Can we move the piano? Is that going to work? You know, I was uh -huh. starting getting into practical things. Sure. Um, and I wasn't sure how an audience would respond to, uh, because it's just, it's, it's not the most straight ahead kind of on the nose humor, you know, where, and, and, um, and in order to make things really fly, we're not going to help you out and wait for it sometimes, you know? So it has more of a speed and element, you know, or, or a vibe of like 
I think when you're watching something like 30 Rock, it actually has a more modern sensibility on, on that level where it goes by and you would want to stop and rewind and go, wait a minute, what was yeah. that? Um, There's no laugh track yeah, necessarily telling, pausing exactly, the, right. the, the comedy. And, if, and when you weigh that against something like The Odd Couple, I think that's a perfect, like, obvious example of, like, you know, how Neil Simon writes. You know, sure. he is going to deliver, tell you when it's the funny part. And you will laugh or you won't laugh and they'll move on. Uh Um, So it's interesting. You know, so I got into a lot of the practical stuff right away when I found out about it. Um, And uh, I think one of the other obvious parts of the Marx Brothers is the clothes. You know, they have a very specific look. They're clowns. Uh Um, And and Chico had, you know, his really unique hat and a coat that didn't quite fit, you know, so that was important to me in the fitting. And, um, and then it was, you know, again, uh, just approaching the dialect. Do I, do I use a Brooklyn dialect and layer the Italian on top of that? Or do I just do a bad Italian accent on my own, you know? So I think what I've arrived at, it's still developed a little bit along the way is I, you know, I'm basically just doing a bad Italian accent, but I do throw a little Brooklyn in there a couple of times if it's a wise crack kind of line. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. How about you, Tasa? What was sort of your approach as you jumped into the show? Uh, we started rehearsals, and about a weekend, I realized I needed a wig. Um, so I went to the Wiz up on Main Street and found an 80s ginger hairband wig. <laughs> I brought it into rehearsal. I asked stage management for a pair of scissors. Uh, I believe one of the pots in from Mary Poppins was there in the corner, and I dragged that pot over, and I just started chopping off this wig and made this really awful mess there in the corner of the rehearsal hall um trimming this wig and uh then i put it on and then things started to make sense i that's when i was able to really click into harpo up until then it was it felt a little strange sure. um because it's such a unique persona and look and trying to get the look right at an early um, stage in rehearsal helped me get into the vocabulary of Harpo. Well, you don't have the advantages, Harpo, that you know you were talking about. Is it Italian, bad Italian versus Brooklyn? You've got the, the dialogue and the sort of the voice of the character. The look is so important as far as... You're, you're just, I, just like, I love the way you just said it. The vocabulary is the look. It's, I mean, they're intrinsically connected. Yeah, so I watched uh, a lot of films and would basically pause and rewind and just study what he did and try to learn his, a part of, I can't say I've got all of it, all of his sort of facial and physical vocabulary, but enough to get me started. And then, of course, we just find things in rehearsal. But I, it's like learning the lines. It just, uh-huh. you don't have set. Some lines are set and they're bits that are scripted. And then sort of what your reactions are to the action in the play, um, we crafted. And that's what rehearsal was for. Did you keep using the wig throughout the, re- through the rehearsal process? Oh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, so I have, a, I have a question that I'll ask the other guys, too. But as I watched the show and as I sort of was going back through my notes and thinking about this and studying, the, you know, the Marx Brothers obviously were actual brothers. They lived together. They grew, you know, the son of French and German immigrants. Their de- the development of their show, their, their sort of stylings came over the course of their lives together. You didn't have that advantage as a group of having lived 
a family life for many years, you know, how, talk about the process of sort of getting together and sort of creating what we know as the Marx Brothers family chemistry on stage for your, for your, with, with, for your characters. Yeah, well, we we have uh, we do have these movies, right? So we have this documentation of these four guys playing together, right? Their playground, and um, we also have uh, spinoffs. Like the one that always comes to mind for me is the Animaniacs, which was this great animation series, you know, and uh -huh. those uh, little creatures, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, that came out of the tower are the Marx Brothers, you know, that's a, that's a riff on the Marx Brothers. So that's in, um, that's in my world as a, as an actor and a comedian, uh, that I know who those guys are and what their spirit is by uh -huh. watching that. That's another thing. And then, so I walk into the rehearsal room with these guys, you know, with Tasso and John and John, who, you know, eventually becomes one of us. And, um, at first, it's awkward because all we're doing is staring at words on a page and trying to piece things together, like like in blocks uh -huh. of of literally in 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 lotsies, you know, like this is the phone lotsie, this is the suitcase lotsie, this is the, and we're piecing it together because the very first scene in particular that when when Tasso and I enter sort of launches the Marx Brothers as a unit, um, and. I think we did a lot of talking, you know, maybe for, but, but, but we did have a secondary rehearsal even early on before anybody was ready. Um, and Melissa just said, let's get up on our feet and start playing the scene, this, uh, this uh, office, I mean, the front desk yeah. scene, the front yeah, yeah. desk scene. And, um, and we were like, okay, great. And we just got up on our feet and started doing what we thought the scene was I'm guessing Tasso can speak for himself based on what we saw in the movie. And so it became this, you know, we became a filter for what we saw in the movie. And then we were adjusting it to the playing space we had, you know, which uh -huh. was similar, but not certainly not exact and not anywhere near as flat as the movie was. You know, they had a lot of like three shots where it was just the front desk, you know, and we could try to create that as much as we can. But like a bit, a bit with the suitcase ended up traveling a lot farther away from the uh, front desk than it would in the film. And we, you know, we have a choice. Do we force it to go the way the film does or do we just go with the flow? And we just went with the flow and we built the whole thing and it actually paid off really well. It's, it's one of these moments that every night it pays off exactly the way we created it. So, you know, there's these, this element of, so really what we do is we, we listen to each other, we play together, we'll, we'll definitely, you know, we'll definitely butt heads a little bit, just like brothers would, you know, with the, you've got three straight Greek men working out very intricate comedy. <laughs> so you can imagine how that might go sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> we also have the experience as actors who've been doing this for quite a long time that you come together in a short amount of period and have to become very intimate with each other sure. in every play that we've ever done as actors in our training and professionally. So we have that experience coming into a short rehearsal process, knowing that in a short amount of time, we got to create believable familial relationships. You have to develop that trust very quickly, no matter the type of show. This just is out there 
you know, there's, there's just a, an easier comparison with this one. Absolutely. And, 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 and what is the benefit in not just doing that as soon as possible? Oh, you know totally. what I mean? Like how there's no benefit to walk into a room and just be untrustworthy, you know? We just jump in there and go, and we've also, look, Tasso, me, John, John Wiscavage, this isn't our first time at the rodeo, we, totally. and, and we all know that. So we all go in with a trust. It was like we don't get, you know, we, we assume that the people we're working with know what they're doing. It seems to me, having watched the show a couple of times, the idea of, I mean, there's there's sort of a, a mini masterclass in theater history that happens in this play, whether or not people realize it, based on the idea that here's these guys that came from sort of a vaudeville background, and there's you know the 1920s version of this show, and then there's what you know this sort of newish adaptation of it, and then there's your interpretation on top of it. Do you find yourself sort of pulling back into your you know into your theater training, whatever form it took, and grabbing talking about things like Lotzi's and 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 this sort of the traditions in which this comedy was born, did you find yourselves sort of cerebrally pulling at those things or did it all just sort of flow in the sort of normal rehearsal process of just like, just stuff happening as it happens? Or, did, or, or was there more, I guess, was there more academic and cerebral conversations about the, the, the genesis of all this stuff? There's always a amount of research that goes into doing a play and the research involves the genre and the historical context and the style, right? Genre, mm -hmm. style, same sure. word. So this is a very particular style. So in order to honor that style, you sort of go back and study that. So, yeah, and, and it is a bit, it's a combination. It's what you know because if you are a theater artist, you try to become as well-versed in the entirety of the history of theater arts. And then you do specific research for the project. So, so you pull from what you know, and then you refresh, sort of with um, new discoveries. Oh, yeah. I, uh, you know, the training is, is, this is a tough one, because I would risk saying that you don't get trained to do this. I would venture to say that you learn how to do this on the job. Mm -hmm. And because Tasso and me and John and John have all done a lot of comedies, um, and usually that education is going to come from a director. That has been my experience. Mm -hmm. um, because creating these any kind of comedy, really, for the purpose of doing it for a paying audience, is is very specific to the director's taste, mm -hmm. you know? And that, but there, and there are rules that you learn along the way. And if you break them, you gotta have a very good reason to break them. Um, and you can learn that in school, but you can't really, because the reason you can't is that you don't get in front of an audience night after night practicing those rules and hearing the results or non-results of those <laughs> rules. In very real time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so that's what I would say to that. I think on a technical level, like training wise, I think language, language, language. Um, and, you know, Tasso said his is a physical language. But even in that, there's a communication about, like, I was actually talking to a couple of the understudies together uh, maybe a week or two ago. We were talking about the desk scene. It always goes back to this desk scene. And, um, and they were talking through stuff. And I was like, yes, but you know that when you set down the inkwell, that's my cue. 
to say he drank that ink well. I don't say it before he sets it down, and I don't say it a beat or two after he sets yeah. it down. You know, and that's actually ink well. He drank that ink well. Ring, you know, and these are all communications. So the training is learning, you know, learning sequence, knowing sequence, knowing how to stay in the moment, but knowing what the sequence is so that you can listen and respond and not jump or step on anybody's toes. And that's so important in that scene. Cause if I move or talk too soon, I've trumped his ink bit. Mm-hmm. And if I wait too long to say he drank that ink well, it throws off the rhythm into the phone ring, into John Plumpus's next line as Groucho. You know, so that's the kind of fine-tuning screwdrivers we're using in a scene like that. Well, I'm glad you brought it up that way. One of the things that was really interesting in our conversation with Melissa, the director, was how she described so much of the comedy in a show like this as mathematics, as as that precise sequence of events that you just beautifully described. And it's I'm, I, my, one of my next questions was, you know, she articulated it as, as so mathematical from a directing standpoint. And it sounds like it's the same process for you as actors in terms of interpreting that, uh, that director's idea of comedy in choreography and precision and those types of things. Yeah. I mean, I'll jump in. Um, uh, Yes, because and also we rely on the director so much because they have to have the overall sense of where we're going. Because trust me, me and Tasso and John and John could make a meal out of several things that we can do, <laughs> right? And the question is, is it time for that yet or not? You know, or and if making a meal out of this thing, does that throw off the potential bigger laugh coming? So we're always making educated guesses as to where we think the big laughs are going to be so that we don't sacrifice, you know, the kind of intensity and power that can come from that Mm -hmm. by asking for little ones along the way. Um, And uh, that is a really uh, um, risky place to live on stage because it requires us to not control things. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so, it feels so good to control things like tell the audience this tell the audience that you know and if if we have the trust that we can move through this and 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 if we do that enough and get big laughs enough that's how we gain trust with the audience they go oh they're gonna get there it's like it requires the specificity and the math that composing a piece of classical music requires and in the playing of that piece of classical music you have to honor all the notes uh-huh. and honor the rests and honor the direction if it has to go faster here or you have to slow down or you have to play light or you have to really let the intensity grow. And at times in the building of it or learning the music, because it is music, um, it can feel uh, uh, technical. And I'm sure anyone who has learned music, I, I'm not one who has, can attest to the sort of the mind numbing hours spent practicing scales. But within that structure, once you master that, there is incredible freedom. (laughs) That's really just Tasso's way of moving into a conversation about the fact that he played Amadeus here (laughs) at the Utah Shakespeare (laughs) Festival. Let's be clear. No, it's not. (laughs) We talk about us both playing Mozart. (laughs) He's always so kind to include me. (laughs) So Tasso, I have kind of what may feel like an overly simplistic question about this role this year. I mean, you've, how did it feel 
How did you did you enjoy playing a character who doesn't speak, and doesn't speak with his mouth? Should I get to be specific? Oh yeah, um, it was a lot of it. It has been a lot of fun. It continues to be a lot of fun. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of what else to say to that. Uh, it, it's it's a blast. And when I really uh, tapped into people, go, oh, what do you like? How do you play a character with no lines? And in acting school. Uh, a phrase you hear a lot is active listening, right? Mm-hmm. The sense of, what do I do when I'm not on stage talking? Well, you're listening. Well, how do you actively listen in a way that is not uh, drawing focus or uh, distracting? And, you know, the phrase is active listening. Now, Harpo, you watch Harpo actively listen, and it's a little <laughs> symphony in his face. <laughs> so I think he's the most expressive, active, mute character I've ever seen sort of on film. Uh, another favorite of mine is Buster Keaton, sure. but he's the opposite of Harpo. He is, you know, stone-faced. So um, that Charlie Chaplin and Harpo, I mean, they're all great, great um, artists to study, and it's been a blast. Cool. Uh, final sort of question. Uh, question. Um... What what spent what was you talked a lot about that sort of death scene as sort of the iconic representation of this process in comedy. Was that the hardest scene in term to put together in terms of the sort of symphony of physical comedy, or was there another one that you you worked a lot at to really get there and get where you were comfortable and happy with? There are three scene four I would include three that I'm in. I would include include a fourth uh, total, but um, the desk scene, the door scene. And the interrogation scene are the three that I'm involved with. I would say the fourth one is the prop scene that Tasso does when he has to, um, when they say um, wanted, what is it, Red Grange or whatever, wanted. And he takes the thing and he starts pulling, looking for the new letter. And all this stuff is coming out of his pockets and coming out of his pockets. And, and, then, and then it leads into the handkerchief bit between him and the Zeppo character, John Miscavige. Um, those four scenes, I think... Would, would kind of encapsulate the detail and they, they were the most time consuming. The door scene was obvious for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, and you know, I don't know the people, some people know is that we, you don't really get the real doors, you know, until you're a good couple of days into tech. Um, and then there's a lot of breaking of those things and not, <laughs> not realizing how much you have to do bracing and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into that to get it just right. But, um, we, we did our best with some pretend doors or like, you know, like yeah. things that got in the rep way. doors. Yes. Yeah, so rep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this, so the interrogation scene and I didn't see the, uh, the production at OSF. Um, so I don't know how similar ours is to that. So I felt like that was a real kind of ensemble created, uh, kind of event. And that's one where, we, you know, there was a real conscious effort of, you know, once we start the ter- interrogation, we're going to go, 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 go until we get to the uh, Charleston. Um, so unless the audience stops us, we don't stop. Yeah. The more components you have to a scene, the more complex it is to build. So another one that comes to mind is the tale of the shirt uh-huh. uh, that Detective Hennessy sings. And that's... It's such a satisfying um, number to be a part of and to perform. And 
it's the whole cast on yeah. stage. And that takes a lot of organizing that many people into very specific choreography and timing takes a lot of discipline yeah. um, on everyone's part. And you have to pay attention. And again, we're not, we don't, we don't have the luxury of time in this rehearsal process. And so it's, um, it's very satisfying, again, talking about structure and adhering to structure. And within that, you find great freedom in the playing of it. And I think it's evident in the theater when we're doing it, just how joyous that freedom is. Yeah, I, I wanted to just add just to that because we have been talking a lot about the Marx Brothers and what we have to do to make all this happen. Um, but the truth is we would totally tank if um, the non-Marx Brothers characters weren't also equally as in tune with the kind of math and science that goes on. So we have an extraordinary group of people on stage right now who are amazingly skilled at staying in tune with what's going on and um, not getting ahead of it. And just, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's a pretty extraordinary accomplishment and it's, it's, it's just been really swell. Awesome. Yeah. Well, the Coconuts playing at the Utah Shakespeare Festival through October 15th. Uh, Jim Paulus and Tasso Feldman, thank you so much for joining us on the Play On Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Play On Podcast. Be sure to go back and listen to past interviews on the festival webpage, bard.org. Check out the latest episode released every Friday with your favorite directors, actors, and designers from our 2016 season. Mm-hmm.